Chapter Seven of the Wide Wide World. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Bridget. The Wide Wide World by Susan Warner. Chapter Seven. Strangers walk as friends. The long drive to the boat was only a sorrowful blank to Ellen's recollection. She did not see the frowns that passed between her companions on her account. She did not know that her white bonnet was such a matter of merriment to Margaret Dunscombe and the maid that they could hardly contain themselves. She did not find out that Miss Margaret's fingers were busy with her paper of sweets, which only a good string and a sound knot kept her from rifling. Yet she felt very well that nobody there cared in the least for her sorrow. It mattered nothing. She wept on in her loneliness, and knew nothing that happened, till the carriage stopped on the wharf. Even then she did not raise her head. Mrs. Dunscombe got out, and saw her daughter and servant do the same. Then, after giving some orders about the baggage, she returned to Ellen. "'Will you get out, Miss Montgomery, or would you prefer to remain in the carriage? We must go on board directly.' There was something, not in the words, but in the tone, that struck Ellen's heart with an entirely new feeling. Her tears stopped instantly, and, wiping away quick the traces of them as well as she could, she got out of the carriage without a word, aided by Mrs. Dunscombe's hand. The party was presently joined by a fine-looking man, whom Ellen recognized as Captain Dunscombe. "'Dunscombe, do put these girls on board, will you? And then come back to me. I want to speak to you. Timmins, you may go along and look after them.' Captain Dunscombe obeyed. When they reached the deck, Margaret Dunscombe and the maid Timmins went straight to the cabin. Not feeling at all drawn towards their company, as indeed they had given her no reason, Ellen planted herself by the guards of the boat, not far from the gangway, to watch the busy scene that at another time would have had a great deal of interest and amusement for her. And interest it had now, but it was with a very, very grave little face that she looked on the bustling crowd. The weight on her heart was just as great as ever, but she felt this was not the time or the place to let it be seen. So for the present she occupied herself with what was passing before her, though it did not for one moment make her forget her sorrow. At last the boat rang her last bell. Captain Dunscombe put his wife on board, and had barely time to jump off the boat again when the plank was withdrawn. The men on shore cast off the great loops of ropes that held the boat to enormous wooden posts on the wharf, and they were off. At first it seemed to Ellen as if the wharf and the people upon it were sailing away from them backwards, but she presently forgot to think of them at all. She was gone. She felt the bitterness of the whole truth. The blue water already lay between her and the shore, where she so much longed to be. In that confused mass of buildings at which she was gazing, but which would be so soon beyond even gazing distance, was the only spot she cared for in the world. Her heart was there. She could not see the place, to be sure, nor tell exactly whereabouts it lay in all that widespread city, but it was there, somewhere, and every minute was making it farther and farther off. It's a bitter thing, that sailing away from all one loves, and poor Ellen felt it so. She stood leaning both her arms upon the rail, the tears running down her cheeks, and blinding her so that she could not see the place towards which her straining eyes were bent. Somebody touched her sleeve. It was Timmins. "'Mrs. Dunscombe sent me to tell you she wants you to come into the cabin, miss.' Hastily wiping her eyes, Ellen obeyed the summons, and followed Timmins into the cabin. It was full of groups of ladies, children, and nurses, bustling and noisy enough. Ellen wished she might have stayed outside. She wanted to be by herself. But, as the next best thing, she mounted upon the bench, 
which ran all round the saloon, and kneeling on the cushion by one of the windows, placed herself with the edge of her bonnet just touching the glass, so that nobody could see a bit of her face, while she could look out nearby as well as from the deck. Presently her ear caught, as she thought, the voice of Mrs. Dunscombe, saying in rather an undertone, but laughing too, "'What a figure does she cut in that outlandish bonnet!' Ellen had no particular reason to think she was meant, and yet she did think so. She remained quite still, but with raised color and quickened breathing waited to hear what would come next. Nothing came at first, and she was beginning to think she had perhaps been mistaken, when she plainly heard Margaret Dunscombe say, in a loud whisper, "'Mamma, I wish you could contrive some way to keep her in the cabin, can't you? She looks so odd in that queer sunbonnet kind of a thing, that anybody would think she'd come out of the woods, and no gloves, too. I shouldn't like to have the Miss MacArthurs think she belonged to us. Can't you, Mamma? If a thunderbolt had fallen at Ellen's feet, the shock would hardly have been greater. The lightning of passion shot through every vein, and it was not passion only— there was hurt feeling and wounded pride, and the sorrow of which her heart was full enough before, now wakened afresh. The child was beside herself. One wild wish for a hiding-place was the most pressing thought, to be where tears could burst and her heart could break unseen. She slid off her bench and rushed through the crowd to the red curtain that cut off the far end of the saloon, and from there down to the cabin below. People were everywhere. At last she spied a nook where she could be completely hidden. It was in the far back end of the boat, just under the stairs by which she had come down. Nobody was sitting on the three or four large mahogany steps that ran round that end of the cabin, and sloped up to the little cabin window. And creeping beneath the stairs, and seating herself on the lowest of these steps, the poor child found that she was quite screened and out of sight of every human creature. It was time, indeed. Her heart had been almost bursting with passion and pain, and now the pent-up tempest broke forth with a fury that racked her little frame from head to foot, and the more because she strove to stifle every sound of it as much as possible. It was the very bitterness of sorrow, without any softening thought to allay it, and sharpened and made more bitter by mortification and a passionate sense of unkindness and wrong. And through it all, how constantly in her heart the poor child was reaching forth longing arms towards her far-off mother, and calling in secret on her beloved name. Oh, mamma, mamma, was repeated numberless times, with the unspeakable bitterness of knowing that she would have been a sure refuge and protection from all this trouble, but was now where she could neither reach nor hear her. Alas, how soon and how sadly missed! Ellen's distress was not soon quieted, or, if quieted for a moment, it was only to break out afresh, and then she was glad to sit still and rest herself. Presently she heard the voice of the chambermaid upstairs, at a distance at first, and coming nearer and nearer. "'Breakfast ready, ladies! Ladies, breakfast ready!' And then came all the people in a rush, pouring down the stairs over Ellen's head. She kept quite still and close, for she did not want to see anybody, and could not bear that anybody should see her. Nobody did see her. They all went off into the next cabin, where breakfast was set. Ellen began to grow tired of her hiding-place, and to feel restless in her confinement. She thought this would be a good time to get away, so she crept from her station under the stairs, and mounted them as quick and quietly as she could. She found almost nobody left in the saloon, and breathing more freely, she possessed herself of her despised bonnet, which she had torn off her head in the first burst of her indignation, and passing gently out at the door, went up the stairs which led to the promenade deck. She felt as if she could not get far enough from Mrs. Dunscombe. The promenade deck was very pleasant in the bright morning sun and nobody was there except for a few gentlemen. 
Ellen sat down on one of the settees that were ranged along the middle of it, and, much pleased at having found herself such a nice place of retreat, she once more took up her interrupted amusement of watching the banks of the river. It was a fair, mild day, near the end of October, and one of the loveliest of that lovely month. Poor Ellen, however, could not fairly enjoy it just now. There was enough darkness in her heart to put a veil over all nature's brightness. The thought did pass through her mind, when she first went up, how very fair everything was, but she soon forgot to think about it at all. They were now in a wide part of the river, and the shore towards which she was looking was low and distant, and offered nothing to interest her. She ceased to look at it, and presently lost all sense of everything around her and before her, for her thoughts went home. She remembered that sweet moment last night, when she lay in her mother's arms, after she had stopped singing. Could it be only last night? It seemed a long, long time ago. She went over again, in imagination. Her shocked waking up that morning. How cruel that was! Her hurried dressing, the miserable parting, and those last words of her mother, that seemed to ring in her ears yet, that home where parting cannot be. Oh, thought Ellen, how shall I ever get there? Who is there to teach me now? Oh, what shall I do without you? Oh, mamma, how much I want you already! While poor Ellen was thinking these things over and over, her little face had a deep sadness of expression it was sorrowful to see. She was perfectly calm. Her violent excitement had all left her. Her lip quivered a very little, sometimes, but that was all, and one or two tears rolled slowly down the side of her face. Her eyes were fixed upon the dancing water, but it was very plain her thoughts were not, nor on anything else before her, and there was a forlorn look of hopeless sorrow on her lip, and cheek, and brow, enough to move anybody whose heart was not very hard. She was noticed, and with a feeling of compassion, by several people, but they all thought it was none of their business to speak to her, or they didn't know how. At length a gentleman, who had been for some time walking up and down the deck, happened to look, as he passed, at her little pale face. He went to the end of his walk that time, but in coming back he stopped just in front of her, and bending down his face towards hers, said, "'What is the matter with you, my little friend?' Though his figure had passed before her a great many times, Ellen had not seen him at all, for her eyes were with her heart, and that was far away. Her cheek flushed with surprise as she looked up, but there was no mistaking the look of kindness in the eyes that met hers, nor the gentleness and grave truthfulness of the whole countenance. It won her confidence immediately. All the floodgates of Ellen's heart were at once opened. She could not speak, but rising, and clasping the hand that was held out to her in both her own, she bent down her head upon it, and burst into one of those uncontrollable agonies of weeping, such as the news of her mother's intended departure had occasioned that first sorrowful evening. He gently, and as soon as he could, drew her to a retired part of the deck, where they were comparatively free from other people's eyes and ears. Then, taking her in his arms, he endeavored by many kind and soothing words to stay the torrent of her grief. This fit of weeping did Ellen more good than the former one. That only exhausted. This in some little measure relieved her. "'What is this all about?' said her friend kindly. "'Nay, never mind shedding any more tears about it, my child. Let me hear what it is, and perhaps we can find some help for it.' "'Oh, no, you can't, sir,' said Ellen sadly. "'Well, let us see,' said he. "'Perhaps I can. What is it that has troubled you so much?' "'I have lost my mother, sir,' said Ellen. "'Your mother? Lost her? How?' 
She is very ill, sir, and obliged to go away over the sea to France to get well, and Papa could not take me with her, said poor Ellen, weeping again, and I am obliged to go to be among strangers. Oh, what shall I do? Have you left your mother in the city? Oh, yes, sir, I left her this morning. What is your name? Ellen Montgomery. Is your mother obliged to go to Europe for her health? Oh, yes, sir. Nothing else would have made her go, but the doctor said she would not live long if she didn't go, and that would cure her. Then you hope to see her come back by and by, don't you? Oh, yes, sir, but it won't be this great, great long while. It seems to me as if it was forever. Ellen, do you know who it is that sends sickness and trouble upon us? Yes, sir, I know, but I don't feel that that makes it any easier. Do you know why he sends it? He is the God of love. He does not trouble us willingly. He has said so. Why does he ever make us suffer? Do you know? No, sir. Sometimes he sees that if he lets them alone, his children will love some dear thing on the earth better than himself, and he knows they will not be happy if they do so. And then, because he loves them, he takes it away. Perhaps it is a dear mother, or a dear daughter, or else he hinders their enjoyment of it, that they may remember him, and give their whole hearts to him. He wants their whole hearts, that he may bless them. Are you one of his children, Ellen? No, sir, said Ellen, with swimming eyes, but cast down to the ground. How do you know that you are not? Because I do not love the Saviour. Do you not love him, Ellen? I am afraid not, sir. Why are you afraid not? What makes you think so? Mamma said I could not love him at all, if I did not love him best. And, oh, sir, said Ellen, weeping, I do love Mamma a great deal better. You love your mother better than you do the Saviour? Oh, yes, sir, said Ellen. How can I help it? Then, if he had left you your mother, Ellen, you would never have cared or thought about him? Ellen was silent. Is it so? Would you, do you think? I don't know, sir, said Ellen, weeping again. Oh, sir, how can I help it? Then, Ellen, can you not see the love of your heavenly Father in this trial? He saw that his little child was in danger of forgetting him, and he loved you, Ellen, and so he has taken your dear mother, and sent you away to where you will have no one to look to but him, and now he says to you, My daughter, give me thy heart. Will you do it, Ellen? Ellen wept exceedingly while the gentleman was saying these words, clasping his hands still in both hers, but she made no answer. He waited till she had become calmer, and then went on in a low tone. What is the reason that you do not love the Saviour, my child? Mamma says it is because my heart is so hard. That is true, but you do not know how good and how lovely he is, or you could not help loving him. Do you often think of him and think much of him, and ask him to show you himself that you may love him? No, sir, said Ellen, not often. You pray to him, don't you? Yes, sir, but not so. But you ought to pray to him so. We are all blind by nature, Ellen. We are all hard-hearted. None of us can see him or love him unless he opens our eyes and touches our hearts, but he has promised to do this for those who seek him. Do you remember what the blind man said when Jesus asked him what he should do for him? He answered, Lord, that I may receive my sight. That ought to be your prayer now, and mine too, and the Lord is just as ready to hear us as he was to hear the poor blind man, and you know he cured him. Will you ask him, Ellen? A smile was almost struggling through Ellen's tears, as she lifted her face to that of her friend, but she instantly looked down again. Shall I put you in mind, Ellen, of some things about Christ that ought to make you love him with all of your heart? Oh, yes, sir, if you please. 
"'Then tell me first what it is that makes you love your mother so much.' "'Oh, I can't tell you, sir. Everything, I think.' "'I suppose the great thing is that she loves you so much.' "'Oh, yes, sir,' said Ellen strongly. "'But how do you know that she loves you? How has she shown it?' Ellen looked at him, but could give no answer. It seemed to her that she must bring the whole experience of her life before him to form one. "'I suppose,' said her friend, "'that to begin with the smallest thing, "'she has always been watchfully careful "'to provide everything that would be useful or necessary to you. "'She never forgot your wants, or was careless about them?' "'No, indeed, sir.' "'And perhaps you recollect that she never minded trouble, "'or expense or pain where your good was concerned. "'She would sacrifice her own pleasure at any time for yours.' Ellen's eyes gave a quick and strong answer to this, but she said nothing. "'And in all your griefs and pleasures you were sure of finding her ready and willing to feel with you, and for you, and to help you if she could. And in all the times you have seen her tried, no fatigue ever wore out her patience, nor any naughtiness of yours ever lessened her love. She could not be weary of waiting upon you when you were sick, nor of bearing with you when you forgot your duty, more ready always to receive you than you to return. Isn't it so?' "'Oh, yes, sir. "'And you can recollect a great many words and looks of kindness and love, "'many and many endeavors to teach you and lead you in the right way, "'all showing the strongest desire for your happiness in this world and in the next.' "'Oh, yes, sir,' said Ellen tearfully, and then added, "'Do you know my mother, sir?' "'No,' said he, smiling. "'Not at all. "'But my own mother has been in many things like this to me, "'and I judged yours might have been such to you. "'Have I described her right?' "'Yes, indeed, sir,' said Ellen. "'Exactly. "'And in return for all this, you have given this dear mother the love and gratitude of your whole heart, haven't you?' "'Indeed I have, sir, and Ellen's face said it more than her words. "'You are very right,' he said gravely, "'to love such a mother, to give her all possible duty and affection. "'She deserves it. "'But, Ellen, in all these very things I have been mentioning, "'Jesus Christ has shown that he deserves it far more. "'Do you think, if you had never behaved like a child to your mother,' if you had never made her the least return of love or regard, that she would have continued to love you as she does? No, sir, said Ellen. I do not think she would. Have you ever made any fit return to God for his goodness to you? No, sir, said Ellen, in a low tone. And yet there has been no change in his kindness. Just look at it and see what he has done and is doing for you. In the first place, it is not your mother, but he, who has given you every good and pleasant thing you have enjoyed in your whole life. You love your mother because she is so careful to provide for all your wants. But who gave her the materials to work with? She has only been, as it were, the hand by which he supplied you. And who gave you such a mother? There are many mothers not like her. Who put into her heart the truth and love that have been blessing you ever since you were born? It is all, all God's doing, from first to last. But his child has forgotten him in the very gifts of his mercy. Ellen was silent, but looked very grave. "'Your mother never minded her own ease or pleasure when your good was concerned. "'Did Christ mind his? "'You know what he did to save sinners, don't you?' "'Yes, sir, I know. Mamma often told me. "'Though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor, "'that we through his poverty might be rich. "'He took your burden of sin upon himself, "'and suffered that terrible punishment, "'all to save you, and such as you. "'And now he asks his children to leave off sinning "'and come back to him, who has bought them with his own blood.' He did this because he loved you. Does he not deserve to be loved in return? Ellen had nothing to say. She hung down her head further and further. And patient and kind as your mother is, 
the Lord Jesus is kinder and more patient still. In all your life so far, Ellen, you have not loved or obeyed him, and yet he loves you, and is ready to be your friend. Is he not even today taking away your dear mother for the very purpose that he may draw you gently to himself, and fold you in his arms, as he has promised to do with his lambs? He knows you can never be happy anywhere else. The gentleman paused again, for he saw that the little listener's mind was full. Has not Christ shown that he loves you better even than your mother does? And were there ever sweeter words of kindness than these? Suffer the little children to come unto me, and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. I am the good shepherd, the good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. I have loved thee with an everlasting love, therefore with loving kindness have I drawn thee. He waited a minute, and then added gently, Will you come to him, Ellen? Ellen lifted her tearful eyes to his, but there were tears there too, and her own sank instantly. She covered her face with her hands, and sobbed out in broken words, Oh, if I could, but I don't know how. Do you wish to be his child, Ellen? Oh, yes, sir, if I could. I know, my child, that sinful heart of yours is in the way, but the Lord Jesus can change it, and will, if you will give it to him. He is looking upon you now, Ellen, with more kindness and love than any earthly father or mother could, waiting for you to give that little heart of yours to him, that he may make it holy and fill it with blessing. He says, you know, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Do not grieve him away, Ellen. Ellen sobbed, but all the passion and bitterness of her tears was gone. Her heart was completely melted. If your mother were here and could do for you what you want, would you doubt her love to do it? Would you have any difficulty in asking her? Oh, no. Then do not doubt his love who loves you better still. Come to Jesus. Do not fancy he is away up in heaven, out of reach or hearing. He is here, close to you, and knows every wish and throb of your heart. Think you are in his presence and at his feet, even now, and say to him in your heart, Lord, look upon me. I am not fit to come to thee, but thou hast bid me come. Take me and make me thine own. Take this hard heart that I can do nothing with and make it holy, and fill it with thy love. I give it in myself into thy hands, O dear Saviour. These words were spoken very low, that only Ellen could catch them. Her bowed head sank lower and lower, till he ceased speaking. He added no more for some time, waited till she had resumed her usual attitude and appearance, and then said, Ellen, could you join in heart with my words? I did, sir. I couldn't help it. All but the last. All but the last? Yes, sir. But, Ellen, if you say the first part of my prayer with your whole heart, the Lord will enable you to say the last, too. Do you believe that? Yes, sir. Will you not make that constant prayer till you are heard and answered? Yes, sir. And he thought he saw that she was in earnest. Perhaps the answer may not come at once. It does not always. But it will come, as surely as the sun will rise tomorrow morning. Then shall we know, if we follow on, to know the Lord. But then you must be in earnest, and if you are in earnest, is there nothing you have to do besides praying? Ellen looked at him without making an answer. When a person is in earnest, how does he show it? By doing everything he possibly can to get what he wants. Quite right, said her friend, smiling. And has God bidden us to do nothing besides pray for a new heart? Oh, yes, sir, he has told us to do a great many things. And will he be likely to grant that prayer, Ellen? If he sees that you do not care about displeasing him in those great many things, will he judge that you are sincere in wishing for a new heart? Oh, no, sir. 
Then, if you are resolved to be a Christian, you will not be contented with praying for a new heart, but you will begin at once to be a servant of God. You can do nothing well without help, but you are sure the help will come, and from this good day you will seek to know and to do the will of God, trusting in his dear Son to perfect that which concerneth you. My little child, said the gentleman, softly and kindly, are you ready to say you will do this? As she hesitated, he took a little book from his pocket, and turning over the leaves, said, I'm going to leave you for a little while. I have a few moments' business downstairs to attend to, and I want you to look over this hymn and think carefully of what I have been saying, will you? And resolve what you will do. Ellen got off his knee, where she had been sitting all this while, and silently taking the book, sat down in the chair he had quitted. Tears ran fast again, and many thoughts passed through her mind, as her eyes went over and over the words to which he had pointed. Behold the Saviour at thy door, he gently knocks, has knocked before, has waited long, is waiting still. You treat no other friend so ill. O oh, lovely attitude he stands, with open heart and outstretched hands. O oh, matchless kindness, and he shows this matchless kindness to his foes. Admit him, for the human breast, ne'er entertained so kind a guest. Admit him, or the hour's at hand, when at his door denied you'll stand. Open my heart, Lord, enter in. Slay every foe, and conquer sin. Here now to thee I all resign. My body, soul, and all are thine. The last two lines Ellen longed to say, but could not. The two preceding were the very speech of her heart. Not more than fifteen minutes had passed when her friend came back again. The book hung in Ellen's hand. Her eyes were fixed on the floor. Well, he said kindly, and taking her hand, what's your decision? Ellen looked up. "'Have you made up your mind on that matter we were talking about?' "'Yes, sir,' Ellen said, in a low voice, casting her eyes down again. "'And how have you decided, my child?' "'I will try to do as you said, sir. "'You will begin to follow your Saviour and to please him from this day forward?' "'I will try, sir,' said Ellen, meeting his eyes as she spoke. Again the look she saw made her burst into tears. She wept violently. "'God bless you and help you, my dear Ellen,' said he, gently passing his hand over her head. "'But do not cry any more. You have shed too many tears this morning already. We will not talk about this any more now.' And he spoke only soothing and quieting words for a while to her, and then asked if she would like to go over the boat and see the different parts of it. Ellen's joyful agreement with this proposal was only qualified by the fear of giving him trouble, but he put that entirely by. End of chapter 7